And so I think the thing we have to keep in mind is that we're all in need of growth. We all have areas where we lack character or we just don't have the skills or the knowledge, um, you know, to interact in relationally healthy ways or in God-honoring ways. And so situations like these don't cause the conflicts, but they do bring them to the surface. Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. Today, I am joined by one of my very dearest friends, Lena Sutherland. Lena, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I'm delighted to be here. While Lena is also a homeschool graduate, she's a former classroom teacher and mother to eight always homeschooled kiddos, aged teen to toddler. She writes at Homeschooling Without Training Wheels, where she loves to encourage homeschooling moms to embrace the freedom and flexibility of homeschooling. Lena also hosts the Sibling Relationship Lab podcast and website, where she delights to show moms how the gospel transforms sibling conflict from an obstacle to an opportunity. So we are definitely going to be getting into some of those topics today because I'm sure I'm not the only one whose children fight on the regular. <laughs> but let's start by you just telling us a little bit about your family and how you came to start homeschooling. Sure. So, you know, when I was growing up, my mom, uh, my parents were aware of homeschooling. At that point, of course, it was um, even more weird than it is today. Um, even less normal. And uh, I was homeschooled actually for kindergarten and then for 11th and 12th grade. And my, I have three younger brothers who were all homeschooled for various parts of their educational careers. My youngest brother and I, my youngest brother just turned 25. He and I are the only ones that graduated as homeschoolers. The other two, you know, did some years homeschooling and then they wound up at the end graduating uh, from a traditional school. But um, my, my parents all along, their philosophy was that the education of their children was very much their responsibility, whether they were going to delegate a portion of that or do it themselves. Um, and they were always very involved and they always felt like, you know, it was their responsibility before God to evaluate year by year, kid by kid, what did my child, what does my child need? What can I provide? What op other options are available? And I really appreciated that mindset. Um, and also just having been homeschooled and having, see, having seen my mom do the homeschooling, it was just um, very much kind of like breastfeeding. Like it just didn't seem odd at all. It seemed like a very normal thing to do. So I know for a lot of people, a lot of families, there's this kind of big roadblock to overcome of like, I don't even know if this is a viable way to educate. I don't, this is so odd. I don't know anyone who does that. I'm, you know, for me, that never really was the case. It just seemed like, of course, people do this. Um, and I, I think I pretty much always knew that I wanted to homeschool. I can remember as a, 
I don't know, probably a high school or something. I, so I, I also always wanted to be a teacher, like a classroom teacher. Um, I can remember when I was a kid having my friends over and kind of wanting to play teacher with them and like, I'm going to be the teacher and you're going to sit here and do your homework. And they weren't very thrilled with that idea. They didn't really want to spend their playtime. I wonder why. Being in a classroom, right. But I, I always kind of wanted to be a teacher, but I also always knew that it was going to be a, more of a sprint than a marathon. Like I wanted to do this for a while and then I wanted to have children and stay home with them. And I can remember at one point, I don't remember how I got connected with this, but there was um, a local private school that had kind of like consortiums or panel discussions. And one of theirs was about education. And they asked me to come speak as someone who had been homeschooled, was teaching in a public school and was interested in homeschooling in the future. And I think their thinking was, isn't that a weird kind of a mix? Like, you know, and my thinking was, I don't know, my choice to work in a public school is very different from thinking about, you know, what I would do with my children when I'm, when I have my own children. And, um, and I, it didn't feel to me contradictory at all. I could serve in this place and still want to educate my own children when they came along. So yeah, and uh, that kind of was always the plan from the beginning. So I don't have some big, you know, falling unexpectedly into homeschooling or homeschooling conversion story. Um, we just started out probably overzealously and too early, like many moms who are planning on homeschooling, but it's just so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Here we are approximately 10 ish years later, depending on when you start the clock and just kind of still feel like I'm completely learning as I go. <laughs> Oh, yes. It's amazing how much there is still to learn. Like, I think I came into home educating as someone who was homeschooled all the way through and thinking like, well, at least like you said, I didn't have to overcome the weird factor. Right. I'd always been a little weird. I kind of liked that, you know, I want to be a rebel. So that wasn't, that wasn't hard for me, but um, I think I definitely had a lot of pride that the Lord had to sanctify out of me thinking I was going to just, it was all going to come so easily. Um, and naturally, and um, still having to learn and grow and change and work with each individual child. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, how has your homeschool personality or philosophy grown or changed over the years? Um, well, yeah, I think very similar to a lot of what you just described, uh, starting out, I think, partly with the background of being a classroom teacher, which oddly, in, in some ways became an obstacle that I needed to overcome, just kind of a, um, and I don't, and I'm not speaking pejoratively of classroom teachers or of a classroom model, but just the homeschool is not that. Um, and sometimes I think we run ourselves ragged trying to replicate something that isn't, isn't really necessary. Um, you know, like the woman who turned the dish drain up over the Thanksgiving turkey after it came out of the oven. And why did she do that? Well, because her mother had done it. And why did she do that? Well, because her mother had done it. And why did her mother do that? Well, because she had a cat and she was trying to keep the cat from getting to the turkey, but the granddaughter doesn't have a cat. That's not relevant, right? So we do that to ourselves in the homeschool where it's like, well, this is how you do it. Well, why? Well, it's no longer relevant because now you're in the homeschool, right? So I had to do a lot of unlearning of things of ways that, I, you know, assumed things, basically. Um, and then also, like you said, kind of the pride, you know, here I am, I, I have a background with homeschooling, and now I have a degree in education. And um, I remember when somebody said at the beginning, I think, so by the time my oldest was officially school-aged, I believe we had four, and the year that he was in kindergarten, I was pregnant with my fifth. So 
before we even officially started homeschooling, it was clear that we were in a large family trajectory, right? And someone said to me, well, since you're going to have a large family, you need to make sure that all the choices you make are sustainable for homeschooling many children, which I feel like is very wise, but also completely incomprehensible from the beginning, right? And so it kind of, um, and the advice was well meant, but for my personality and my kind of like perfectionist, I will do all the research and I will figure this out and do it right from the beginning. It kind of led to a kind of a um, paranoia, like, well, I think I'm going to pick this curriculum, but I don't know if this is sustainable when I have four children who are in elementary school and how will I know? And I need to ask everyone all the questions and find out, you know, and um, I feel like it's with a lot of things that you're going to have to plan to spend money on things that you will then not use. And you just chalk that up to kind of like your homeschool mom continuing education because there's virtually no way to know what your children need, what's a good fit for your family, what's a good fit with the particular balance of kids you've got this year until you're doing it, until you're trying it, right? And, um, you know, in the public school system, curriculum choosing is a four-year process. So you go through this whole process of, you know, everybody gets samples of, of math textbooks from all these different companies and everybody looks over it. And then the next year, the committees meet and they make all these choices. And so four years down the road, now everybody has a brand new math textbook in the classroom and you're going to use that for four years, no matter whether it turned out to be like a big flop or not, or the whatever changes or whatever, but it's a four-year cycle, right? And it's kind of like the turning the battleship mentality, which again, not to be pejorative, but when you're... In an institution, you have to be slow and deliberate and it takes a while to make changes. But in the homeschool, it doesn't need to be that way, right? And so I stuck with things that weren't working because I felt like, oh, but I was supposed to have all this figured out beforehand. So if I change, that means I was wrong and I didn't do it right. And, you know, so just kind of um, putting myself and my children through misery that we didn't have to go through because of these I don't know, kind of boxes that I'd put myself in from the beginning. So I feel like homeschooling, it's just kind of um, parenting intensified, right? You don't realize upfront how much it's going to be about your own personal sanctification and, and humbling, but humbling in the best possible way. Like God doesn't humiliate us and leave us there. He humbles us in terms of just directing our perspective as to who we are, what he expects of us, and how much of that, you know, is his own power and his own provision for us in, in the, whole, the whole process, parenting and homeschooling. So, It's so interesting to me how so many common themes are coming up in this homeschool conversation series. And I'm talking to a lot of different kind of people. Um, who come from a lot of different backgrounds, lots of different approaches to education and to homeschooling. And yet some of these same common themes are coming up again and again. You know, even that, that comment you made about not being willing to set down a curriculum that wasn't working because it would mean you were wrong. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of the conversation I had with Missy Andrews where we were talking about, you know, the real danger and temptation of finding our identity in this work that we're doing, this good work that we're doing as homeschool moms, but finding our identity there and thus any mistakes become, you know, a reflection on who we are or even any successes become where we place our identity yes. and having to like, to put our identity only in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then, or, oh, 
Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, or even bigger than that, you know, another well-meaning comment that I think was filtered through my own personality struggles and quirks and weaknesses. But, you know, I remember a mom saying, um, you know, we don't want to reflect to the world that motherhood is miserable and a drag. And so when we go out in public, we want to, you know, take a shower, put on your, you know, nice clothes. Don't walk out looking like, you know, I'm a miserable suffering, suffering person because I'm at home all day with these children, which I think, again, good advice. But to me, I kind of took on this mantra of like, I represent the whole church and the whole homeschooling movement to everyone whenever I leave my home. And of course, that boiled down to the the kind of rigid control I wanted to have over my children, right? Because like, they're going to blow all of Christianity if they act out in the grocery store, you know, or something like that, which again, this woman was giving good, helpful advice, but the way that that made itself at home in my family was not helpful. Yeah. That's a burden that we aren't designed to bear and certainly not our children. So yeah. And so God is so faithful to <laughs> to still love us and to show us those, those areas and to bring us through. And I hope that by hearing some of these conversations, it'll be an encouragement to other moms. You know, they can learn the easy way through our experience instead of the hard way, <laughs> making all the same mistakes. They can make their own mistakes. It'll be fine. Then they right. can tell us what they learned. Absolutely. Yep. Well, you know, one of the hardest parts about homeschooling, at least for me, and I think this would be true for, for many families, is really the parenting. Yeah. And um, we're parenting all the time in all the ways. And we're all together, which is a great part of homeschooling, but can also be a hard part of homeschooling. And one of the hardest parts about parenting for me, the thing that really breaks my heart, is when I see my children at odds with one another. And when I see these sibling conflicts arising where I want them to love each other and to be at peace with one another, um, are there any misconceptions that you think that we might have as we, that we might bring to the table when, when we're dealing with sibling conflict? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that I hear, and I especially hear this from families who have made a transition from, say, a more traditional school model to homeschooling, because, you know, we all make those changes for lots of different reasons or choose in the first place to homeschool for lots of different reasons. But I think a big one for all of us is at least, you know, in the back of our minds somewhere, this concept of like relationships are important and we need to be spending time together. And we want that time as a family. We want to be able to have time together and build relationships. And so I think oftentimes um, it's really um, discouraging and unsettling for moms to feel like, I thought this was supposed to be like helpful relationally. I thought that this was supposed to be the thing that would make us all close. But I feel like I spend so much time with fights and with conflict. And um, not only does it not make me feel like all of this effort that I'm putting into homeschooling is making our relationships lovely. I almost feel like I can't do the homeschooling that I'm supposed to do because of all the relationships that we're dealing with. And I've actually heard a similar thing, um, you know, recently from moms who, whether they were homeschooling before or not, are now spending even more time together because of, um, you know, COVID and quarantine. And so even, you know, um, homeschool families often have lots of outside of the house activities that are now not happening. And families whose children used to be in traditional school settings are now home more. And so I think the thing we have to keep in mind is that we're all in need of growth. We all have areas where we lack character or we just don't have the skills or the knowledge. 
um, you know, to interact in relationally healthy ways or in God honoring ways. And so situations like these don't cause the conflicts, but they do bring them to the surface. Well, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know how much I love including poetry and other beautiful memory work in our family's homeschool day. But if you've wondered what are the best morning time poems to include, well, I have a free printable for you. Head to humilityanddoxology.com slash 100 morning time poems, and you'll get to download a list of 100 of my favorites. And then be sure to come back and let me know which ones your family has enjoyed. Right. So like my mom used to always say um, when we were kids that our hearts are like a cup on a high shelf and you don't see what's in that cup, you know, you can't see into it. So you don't know what's in that cup unless it gets jostled a little bit, but the jostling doesn't cause there to be something in it, right? The jostling simply reveals so when we're, say, home more together because of COVID or because we were not homeschooling and now we're homeschooling, um, I think a lot of moms feel like, and, and actually I've had moms use this exact language, I feel like homeschooling is ruining our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think a lot of that is just a false expectation about what would happen. Like if we just are in each other's presence more, then automatically we will have better relationships. But I think it's it's more if we're in each other's presence more, we will see more of the things that are causing us to not love each other well and have more opportunity to work on those things. So by shifting our perspective about just what we're expecting, it takes out a little bit of the like despairing and like, I think I ruined everything. I think I made a bad choice kind of feeling about how we process those things emotionally when they come up. And actually it's interesting because I just finished recording. So by the time I think this video goes live, it will already be out. But episode 25 of the, of the Sibling Relationship Lab podcast is all about why sibling conflicts are so emotionally draining for moms. Like what are all the emotions that are kind of springing to the surface um, when there's a sibling conflict? And then just kind of thinking through like, what do I say to myself in my mind about those emotions, those thoughts that are being triggered when our kids are fighting. So that might be a helpful resource. Yeah, I'll link that up in the show notes. I, I need to listen to that because as I'm, as I'm thinking, like when I, when I see my children fighting, I'm generally not like uh, even necessarily upset at them. I have tremendous feelings of guilt of if I were a better, more loving discipler, they would always get along, which is of course not true, but it feels that way. Like if we could just somehow find the magic way to parent, um, the right thing to say, our children would always love each other and dance through the roses together. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Amy, you got, you, you've just summarized the podcast episode. So yes, that's it. Okay. Well, you know, we talk a lot about wanting to deal with heart issues, not just external behavior with our children. And I, I believe that that's very important, but I just have to be honest that in the middle of my day, when I'm in the middle of one thing in the kitchen and I hear fighting over a toy in the living room, I walk around the corner and I just say, who had it first? <laughs> Which is totally terrible parenting. <laughs> <laughs> what are some good strategies that we can employ kind of in the middle of 
like not, not a big crisis, but it feels like a crisis in your day when suddenly the, the fight is happening. And then are there some more helpful questions that I should be asking? Hmm. Well, it's interesting because, um, so I teach an online course called the Sibling Opposition Solution, SOS for short, right? Like wave the white flag, help, help. <laughs> um, and the very first module is about shifting our thinking you know, what are we doing here? It's not just about like, we have to decide who gets the toy next. It's, there's a bigger picture going on here. And so in the very first lesson, we talk about the different kinds of questions that we might ask. And very often moms who've gone through just that first lesson will say, okay, I'm really stuck here because I'm trying to think of this from a heart-centered perspective, but I feel like I'm still starting out with the same questions. And my response is, well, of course. I mean, you're not omniscient. You weren't there. So it's completely normal and good that you start with those very factual questions like who had it first is not a wrong place to start because you don't want to jump to conclusions and you don't want to make decisions without information, right? And here's the thing to remember, like God, who is omniscient and does know all the answers ahead of time, still asks people very factual questions like where is your brother? Where are you, Adam and Eve? Like, is he asking because he didn't see and he needs some facts so he can make a good decision? Now, in our case as moms, part of what we do when we listen to those answers, I mean, think about, Amy, I know you and I both love a good British um, mystery story, right? And how many times do you, actually, just last night, my husband and I were watching a Hercule Poirot, and he asked a question, and his sidekick, Hastings, is getting ready to jump in with the answer, because they'd already figured this out in some other portion of their investigation and he stopped him because obviously Poirot is not just getting information. He kind of wants to see how they answer it. He wants to, you know, kind of get a taste of like, what's this person's spin on it going to be? So he doesn't want Hastings to interrupt with the facts because yeah, he wants the facts, but sort of not. Like there's more to it than that, right? So when we go in as moms and we say, well, who had it first? That's not a bad place to start. And it doesn't mean like, oh, you know, I'm so like, you know, externally focused and I just want to control my children's behavior. Like, that's a great place to start. But then the questions that we're going to ask, it's not so much that the questions change. They, they do eventually change as you go through the process of discussing with the children. But really what's changed is your mindset, right? So kind of like that paradigm of if you give a man a fish or not a paradigm, what's it called? A parable. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. So when you go in, if you say, okay, give me your side, give me your side. Okay, you get the red ball, you go over there and be quiet. Okay, so the conflict is over. But has anyone learned anything about their hearts, about their motives, about how to approach situations in the future so that we don't get to this boiling point? Um, and, you know, so what changes isn't necessarily like that you don't no, no longer need the facts. It's it's how you're going to guide your children in thinking about it as they give you those answers. Be like, okay, my job is done as soon as I pick who has the turn in the front seat or whatever. Everything you're doing, you're collecting thoughts and information about like, where is this child spiritually? Where's their character? What needs work? What needs guidance? Yeah, that is really helpful just to think about it in terms of a mindset shift. Not Because sometimes I feel like I'm supposed to be asking some like, really profound question. Like there's just a question I don't know about. Well, you know, and Amy, I think the other reason that this trips moms up in the course is because they're already doing way more of this than they realize, right? So you as a mom, you are tuned into all kinds of things about your kid, right? So when you start to examine yourself and say like, oh, am I doing this right? 
then you're, you're criticizing your, maybe like, what question am I asking? Or is that, that the right question? But you know, you're already, your antenna is already up and you're already, you know, receiving a lot of this feedback that you might not be consciously aware that you're looking for. Like Hercule Poirot is very tuned into exactly what he wants to get out of every question. You might not be, but you're still collecting that data, even if you don't realize it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question, still kind of related to a sibling conflict. In my family, it's generally not like the good guy and the bad guy, where it's very clear cut. Oh, this person was the sin, you know, was sinned against, and this person is the antagonist or whatever. Generally, it's all a big mess. <laughs> like, they're just all being mean to each other, and, and it all builds on each other. So how, what are some strategies or tips for sort of sorting through that complexity and not just giving up? Or sending them all to their rooms. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, if you're coming into this with the idea that, okay, yes, I probably do need to figure out whose turn it is to sit in the front seat or who had the ball first or whatever. Um, but really, ultimately, my goal is to know each child's heart. Then, yes, you're probably going to see some things that both child, both children need to work on. It's, it's hardly ever you know, this person was 100% innocent and this person was, you know, the only one in the wrong. And so there are so many healthy relational dynamics there that you can work on. Um, so, you know, it's not just a matter of like, oh, you have to ask before you take someone's thing, but how do you respond graciously and lovingly when someone has taken your thing without asking? Because I promise you that will not cease happening when you turn 18 and move out of the home with your siblings or however, you know, however old you are. Like this is a life skill. It's, um, I, I feel like we see this in the church a lot. We, we read and we think about like, what should a good church look like? And then we go into it with like, I am prepared to be godly and loving when I'm in a church where they're doing all the things where that they're supposed to be doing, Right. But are you prepared to be in a church? Are you prepared to be a godly church member in a church that is full of sinners and people who don't get it and people who haven't read what you've read and people who, you know, didn't take away the same thing from the sermon that you did? And, you know, like, are we raising our children to, you know, follow the rules and respond when other people are behaving appropriately? Or are we raising our children to love even when it's messy and ugly and not ideal and not how it's supposed to be. So, and you know, and we don't have to address everything at every moment. A lot, I think a lot of wise parenting is just, you're just tucking it away. Like, okay, I'm beginning to see, we, we have a pattern. Probably this is not the ideal moment to go, you know, and, and dig this up, but note to self, we're going to need to have a conversation about that. I know it's interesting, especially with some children or especially as they get older, a lot of times when you see some like a pattern of behavior, I have found that actually sometimes the worst time to try to talk about it is right there in the heat of the moment because your, your brain is just sort of shut off. Everybody's just angry and not thinking clearly. So that has been something that I, I wish I had done a better job of that earlier, but I learned the hard way um, to just give a little space and then talk about it later on, even Absolutely. bring everyone in the living room together. And you can do that with older children more easily than with littles, but um, yeah. Exactly, because well, if you talk about it in the moment, it's not a theoretical conversation. It's like, wait a minute, if I say this, am I gonna lose my turn with the red ball? And so it's very difficult to talk about how should we behave? What's the right way to think about it? It's very difficult to get your focus off of, I don't know. I just want to say whatever will get me a turn with the red ball. 
Yeah. And that's why I like your sibling devotionals too, because you're talking about some of these strategies, but in a very like non-confrontational, nobody's fighting. This is not against any one person. We're just going to God's word and talking about wise interactions together. And it feels like a very gentle way to deal with some of those issues without anyone feeling defensive or attacked. Right. Exactly. Well, when we are dealing with issues constantly through the day, you know, we don't always have the time to, to, to do this sort of deep parenting work with every single conflict. I mean, we actually still do have to do the math. Um, even if the younger siblings are fighting, like we may not be able to go in there and deal with that right now. Um, and so I know it's an issue of wisdom and you can't give us like a list, a checklist to follow, but what are some ways that we can wisely decide when to speak and when to be silent, you know, even when to let something go and not try to address it or when to stop everything and go deal with that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right already that it's definitely a matter of wisdom and, you know, sometimes you need to be late to church because there's something that has to be dealt with. And sometimes it is more loving to your children and to the members of your church to say, we're going to back burner this and talk about it later because we have commitments and we have, you know, we're not going to disrupt the service, um, even though we have this heart need that, you know, definitely needs to be addressed. I think sometimes, especially when you know, like, for example, we're on the way to church, we have an obligation here. We, we can't just do show up whenever we get there. Um, part of the proactive step that moms can take is to remove stumbling blocks for our children, to remove obstacles of temptation, right? So Sunday morning might not be the time where you say, like, whoever gets to the van first can pick whatever seat they want, you know, like, that might be the time where you say, we have assigned seats, and you're going to sit here, because you know, that's probably going to become an issue. And so you need to kind of do an end run around that by the plans that you make as a mom. Um, And there may be certain systems that you set up during the day in your homeschool, like, you know, this is, this is what you're going to be doing while I'm doing math with this person. And if this becomes an issue, then what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to come in and take this away. And you each are going to have to sit in your bed with a book or whatever, so that you have strategies in place that don't, that are not like a huge time suck, but that do, remove the temptation, right? Because that's, that's, yes, we want to deal with the heart issue, but what's really important in the moment is that we not leave our children in a place where they're just going to continue to dig themselves deeper in a mud pit, unhindered, without guidance, you know, without any help. So, you know, taking away the thing that they're fighting over or putting them in their separate beds, it doesn't fix the problem. But we do need to provide a hedge of protection around them when they're demonstrating that they don't have the self-control or the wisdom or the maturity to make those healthy choices in your, in your absence. Oh, I love that because I have definitely just done the worst things to my children where I've set them up for failure, (laughs) where just a few simple changes in how I, you know, set up the situation would have made it a lot more easy, you know, a lot easier for them to get along or to obey, and we don't want to provoke our children. We've actually done the assigned seats during our family devotions because Mm -hmm. every single night, every single night, there was a huge fight and like lengthy debate about whose turn it was to sit next to mom. And I still can't quite figure this out because I'm with them all day long, (laughs) like all the time. 
You should spend more time with your children, Amy. Right? I mean, dad's been at work all day. No one's fighting to sit next to him. But it just got to the point where I didn't even want to sit next to anybody. And it was just terrible. So we have a rotation system. And everyone just sort of rotates. So every night, they just move around the room until it's their prized night to sit next to mom. That's it. That's it. Yeah, Matt, my husband loves to quote, I believe this is a Ben Franklin quote be governed by God or by God, you'll be governed. So like, you know, if you're not demonstrating the maturity to make these decisions on your own, then someone in authority is going to need to step in and make the decisions for you. And, you know, that was obviously an analogy to our federal government, but I think it applies in the home. Yes, definitely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because it's kind of easy to focus on the negative on the sibling conflict because it's noisy and you know, annoying, but I would like us to talk about sort of the positive side and what are some ways that we can really encourage and nurture healthy sibling relationships? Yeah. So moms, you know, you have a huge, huge, powerful opportunity to influence your children and you do this, you already do this, whether you are aware of it or not. But, um, you know, as you said, Amy, so it's, say it's Saturday morning, you're sitting at the table, the children are down, they're playing quietly in the other room, you're drinking coffee with your husband. Like, what do you need to do parenting-wise? You're thinking like, nothing, I get a break, right? It's not until they're at each other and screaming and pulling hair and now it's, oh, now I have to parent, right? So it's very easy to not think about sibling relationships until there's an emergency because like, who wants to think about sibling conflict unless they have to? But, you know, I I feel like one of the best things moms can do is to, um, I don't know, I hate to use the word spin, but everything has a spin to it, right? When you you walk through the mall, or I don't know, I don't go to the mall anymore, but you walk someplace, a homeschool convention where there's hundreds of people in the hallway, okay? You walk down the hallway and um, you're passing thousands of people with thousands of different items of clothing on or whatever, and most of it just completely goes like you sort of see it but you're not really storing the data you're not really remembering it unless there's something that stands out to you so for example like oh I have that same shirt or hey my dad went to that college or you know there are little pieces of data that you pick up and why you pick up different ones you know just depends on your previous experiences your memories what little hooks you have to pick up on things and so um, there's this awesome video on YouTube I forget who does it. I forget the name of it. But I think if you search, um, it's something about the Tetris, uh, the Tetris effect. So scientists did this study where they had people play, you know, the game Tetris, where you're rotating the little shapes to fit them into the I'm So puzzle. terrible at that kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd have people play these games for hours at a time. And then they observed those people and they found that they would like go to the grocery store and be like, ooh, if you turn these boxes this way, you could, you know, and they were like, they were training their brains to look for these patterns and to think of things in this way. Like, not that they were trying to train their brain, but that was the effect of focusing on those things over and over and over again, right? So throughout the course of the day, your children have thousands of interactions with each other, especially if you count every like raised eyebrow, every facial expression, every pass in the hallway, like there are thousands of interactions. They can't remember all of them. None of us can. We as humans, we don't store all the data we are receiving all the time. And so as moms, we have an opportunity to be a huge influence for good 
in helping our children to tuck away the things that are going to build their relationships. So this is another wise thing my mom said to us when we were kids. She said, whatever kind of list you're making, you will always find things to add to that list. So if the narrative in your head is like, my brother is a stupid moron and he's always trying to annoy me, you will have a very easy time finding plenty of things to put on that list because guess what? He's a sinner and he will sin and you will see it because you live with him all the time. But if your inner narrative is, I'm really thankful to have a big brother like this who enjoys doing things with me, well, then you will find a lot of things to put on that list too. And so as moms, it's a really, you know, it's, it's hard to remember because again, like when there's no conflict, we're not like, okay, I need to work on this. This is very important. But, um, you know, to just come alongside and be like, oh, I saw that he was, you know, you were the first one that he shared his new book with. That must feel so wonderful. You must be really special to him. You know, just these little things where like you are kind of in a positive sense, you are putting a spin on the truth, not, you know, cause we know spin doesn't mean like you're making a lie out of the truth, but you are, you're biasing your children basically to what they're going to think about, how they're going to perceive it, which data points they're going to remember. Um, and it's a, it's just a simple little thing, but you're just, you know, you're just kind of going to be the one behind them, like whispering true things in their ear and, you know, encouraging them to pick up on those things that are just the gold nuggets of relationships. I love that kind of being able to help them tell each other true stories or tell mm -hmm. themselves true stories about the people around them. And you do, you have to train yourself to, and we know in marriage, you have to train yourself to tell yourself a positive story about your spouse instead of picking up only on the negative. And so yeah. when you're a child, you're not going to just naturally know how to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to start incorporating that one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the flip side of that is true as well, which is, um, you know, so like to be a loving wife to my husband doesn't mean that I trick myself into thinking that he has no flaws, right? That wouldn't be love. That would be like basically making an idol out of him, loving a person that doesn't exist loving a false version of my husband. And so I think, you know, the flip side of that too is to be comfortable having conversations with our children. Like when they come to us and say like, you know, my brother's a stupid jerk and he's always trying to annoy me. We don't say, no, no, no. We say, okay, tell me some more about that and be willing to listen and be willing to say, mm-hmm, I can see how that would be super annoying. And, you know, if I were talking to your brother, I would be having a conversation about that. But what can, you know, what can we do from your perspective? How can we, you know, how can you respond? And to be a place where your children can come and say, you know, this person does really frustrating, annoying things. And you say, okay, let's talk about that. Because yep, we're all sinners. So we don't need to be shocked that you're having trouble with the sinners that you live with. Oh, that is such a good point. Well, I just like feel like I need a personal counseling session for a lot more time with you now. <laughs> but you are such a wonderful mentor to so many women. And I know that you have um, your sibling opposition solutions course, which you mentioned earlier. Could you just sort of briefly explain to us how, what, what that looks like and what an online sibling uh, parenting course is? Absolutely. So this has been such a joy and a delight to me. And this is where I really love hanging out online because the moms in this, in this course and in this community are, um, you know, their mom, if you're going to pay for something to learn about parenting and sibling parenting, then obviously you're, you know, you're invested in it. Um, but it, it ends up being a very, um, you know, like we were saying earlier, like, uh, 
parenting and homeschooling turn out to be way more about your own sanctification. You know, it's not like, give me the steps and I will do them to my children and I will churn out, you know, cookie cutter children. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was signing up for so much personal, like, hard examination and repentance and humility and sanctification. And, um, but I mean, that's oftentimes the most encouraging people to hang out with are the people who are like, oh, okay, now I'm discovering this and I don't know what to do with it. And let's talk about it together. And we're all, you know, together realizing like, I, I need support and I have growing to do here. And I'm including myself in this. I'm not like the guru on the top of the mountain, but I'm like, these are the women who are encouraging to me. It's such a blessing to hang out here. So the course is an online video course, meaning that each lesson is a video. They're short. They're like five to 10 minutes. I tell moms, like, you could legitimately watch these in the bathroom. Like, you know, take a potty break, watch a lesson. <laughs> um, and then there's a community connected so that you can discuss what you're learning and talk about, um, you know, asking the questions that you have. And then once a month, we have uh, a live video chat, which is half workshop on a particular topic. So like the one coming up at the end of June, we're going to be talking about when one of the siblings has special needs or special challenges and how does that affect the sibling dynamics. And then the other half is an open Q&A so that moms can ask either something from the course that they're still struggling with or just general, um, you know, parenting things that they're working on or sibling things that they're working on. Um, but the, the overall layout of the course is such that you know, as I said before, you begin by kind of a shift in your perspective. So module one is all about kind of like, what's my role here? What, what are the goals and the purposes? Module two is in, in kind of like a behind the scenes, what's happening during conflict? What's going on in their hearts? What's causing that? Module three is the nuts and bolts of walking you through reconciliation. So we get just really nitty gritty about like apologies and forgiveness and making restitution and some of those kind of detailed steps. And then the fourth module is um, a lot of the common things that we often deal with. So like tattling and sharing and minding each other's business. So like we've talked about all this, we've talked about the theory of looking at the heart. So now like, what does that look like in these common everyday scenarios? Yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. And I will have all that linked up um, in the show notes when this video publishes at humilityanddoxology.com. And if you are watching it the week it comes out, you should also check those show notes because there might be a special coupon code for humility and doxology um, readers. So that I know would be a blessing to many parents. Well, we would Lina, love to have you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that we got a chance to chat today. Thanks for, for joining me. And where can people find you around the internet? Yeah, so I have two sites. The homeschooling focus site is called Homeschooling Without Training Wheels, and the, the actual address is hswotrainingwheels.com. And then all of the sibling parenting resources we've talked about are at siblingrelationshiplab.com. All right. Well, I look forward to just thinking through the things that we have talked about today and um, talking with you later. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Thanks for listening in on this week's Homeschool Conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool-conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. 
Let's repent of our constant striving, relish the joy of learning, and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.